Thank you. Uh, if you have a Bible, it would be a fantastic thing to turn to Mark's Gospel and chapter 3. It is great to be back here, and we have a stage. It's just, it's great, really. Uh, what, what I learned from, um, from, the, um, uh, from the testimonies, the stories, lots of things. Isn't it great? God's doing stuff. God is alive, doing stuff, and don't mess with Sandy. I mean, if she says stop, everything stops. That's, that's, that's the thing. Uh, so Mark chapter 3, it's great to be back. Um, my uh, slides will come up on, on the screen. That's in, on the biggest screen in Christendom that we have behind us. In, in huge font, the same size font as your mother's iPhone font. Do you know what I mean? And, and if you don't know what I mean, I'm, I'm going I'm to be 50 this week, and my font grows every third week. I, I think when I'm about 52, there'll be like one word per page on my iPhone, because uh, it's getting that bad. Um, Mark chapter 3. And we're going to continue in, in a series that we, um, uh, where we're looking at the life of Jesus and what he has to say today and what difference it makes today. And how Jesus can radically change your life, can turn everything upside down. I have a, a friend that I meet with about once every three or four months. And when he, he's, he's an older guy, he's a, I reckon he's about 70 years of age. And he's um, originally a Glaswegian. He, he was a pastor for many years. Um, I think he was, uh, um, used to work in the, in, in the shipyards. And when he sees me, he walks into the room, he looks me in the eye, and he says, Big man, disrupt yourself, big man. And I just look at him and go, whatever. Um, disrupt yourself, big man, he says. And then he goes on to say, every morning, Martin, look in the mirror and say, Martin. This is a great accent, isn't it? I've been working on this. No? Not so much. It's like a cross, the key going, cross between Mel, Mel Gibson and Billy Connolly. We're going to get there. Every morning, look in the mirror, Martin. And when you see yourself, say, Martin, disrupt yourself. Now, he's totally crazy. But the point he's trying to make is this. Is that it's so easy, isn't it, to get into a groove. It's so easy to settle for same old, same old. It's so easy when you get particularly to a certain stage in life to go, well, I, I, I've, I've, I've done all my adventuring. I've done my beating down of things. I've done my fighting. And now I'm just going to coast. I've found my groove. Um, but the call of God is always a call to disrupt ourselves. And for him to disrupt us, God is always disturbing you if you let him. If you're listening because he's always wanting to transform your mind and the way in which you think. He's always wanting to heal your heart. He's always wanting to direct your steps. He, and he's always wanting to conform you so that you look like his son. That's what he's doing. He's, every day is a school day in the kingdom of God. And he's always churning things up. You know, if you, if you want to live a life that is not messed up and not disturbed, don't bother reading this. Because this will mess with you. This will change everything. If you take this seriously, it will radically change everything that you think and that you believe. God says, disturb yourself. And in, in a sense, that's why we're in this sermon series over the autumn term. Dis disruption. Because it's all about Jesus, who's the great disruptor. I mean, read the New Testament. You have heard it said, 
but I say to you. In other words, they told you this, but, but this is actually true. He, he takes a challenge to the religious leaders always. He takes a whip into their religious buildings. And, and, and what he says messes with people's heads and ruins their lives and then makes their lives. Jesus says, I'll break your heart as they break my body. And I'll blow your mind as the grave is empty. And I'll send your life as an emissary, and everything will be different if you truly listen to what I'm saying to you. Disrupt yourself with Jesus. See, what you think about when you think about Jesus is the most important thing you ever think about, if that makes sense. Let me say it again. What you think about when you think about Jesus is the most important thing that you ever think about because he is perfect theology. In other words, if you want to know what God looks like and how God moves and how God acts, check out Jesus, who's God incarnate. And you were created by God for God, so that's a really important thing. And more than that, he's, he's perfect humanity. And that's important because most of us spend most of our lives trying to work out how to live a full life. And Jesus lived life in all its fullness and says, this is what life in all its fullness looks like. This is what perfect humanity looks like. Check me out. And he is perfect leadership. In a world where we have a current and pervasive leadership crisis in every arena of culture, you want to work out what leadership truly looks like, what what God had in mind when he put leadership in place. Check out Jesus. He's perfect leadership. And more than that, he's perfect discipleship. In fact, he was the first disciple. He's the model disciple. And he's a secret to discipleship. So when you see Jesus, you see what God's supposed to look like. And when you see Jesus, you see the reign and rule of God become available to us. When you see Jesus, you you see the power of God available to us. And so here's the remaining question. In fact, here's the defining question of discipleship. What is Jesus doing? In fact, here's the question for the whole series. What is Jesus doing? And, And how can I do it? Because if he's Perfect theology, perfect humanity, perfect leadership and perfect discipleship. He's the model and the example and and, and all I've got to do is do what he does. And so over the next few weeks we're going to spend time just going, what is Jesus doing? And what would it look like to to do the things that Jesus does? So Mark chapter, chapter three, that was the intro. Mark chapter 3, let's, let's get it out. And um, what you need to realize with, with Mark is that um, it's, it's, it's even more disturbing because Mark is like, I don't know, this is probably crass, but it's like the comic book version of the gospel. You know, this is not John. This is Mark. And Mark is channeling the eyewitness account of Peter. And Peter is a blunt northern fisherman. So Peter is not kind of sophisticated, sophisticated. Peter is just kind of uh, this happened, then that happened, then the other thing happened, then Jesus did this, and, and, and that'll do. You know? And so it's very, very direct stuff. It's very disturbing stuff. Here it is. Another time. I mean, Jesus just threw, thrown bombs 
into the world of, of, of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They, they don't know what just hit them. He just, he just blew their minds. And then, and then Mark goes, another time, he went into the synagogue. I'm not going to do it with an accent. And a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were, some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked round at them in anger. Note that. And deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake. And a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Edomia, and the regions across the Jordan, around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him, to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the evil spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God! But he gave them strict orders not to tell who he was. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, designating them apostles, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to whom he gave the name Bonargus, which means sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Let's pray. So, Holy Spirit, we just invite you to disrupt us with Jesus. We invite you to disrupt us with Jesus. Would you come and would you speak to our hearts? Because we believe you are here. Amen. Jesus is a right royal pain to the religious guys I mean really if you were a religious guy you wouldn't like Jesus it's like he's going out of his way to get in their faces and mess with their stuff I mean if you read the second chapter of Mark I mean he he starts off by claiming he can forgive sin which only God can do he starts eating with tax collectors which he shouldn't do he's encouraging his disciples in not fully observing the laws which he definitely shouldn't do and then he's claiming to put a cherry on the top that he's the lord of the sabbath <laughs> so I mean it's like a it's a setup He's he set himself against religion. He's saying, hey, by the way, I'm God. If you want to know what God is like, check me out. And if that's not controversial enough or provocative enough, he's saying, and you guys were created to walk with God by God. And all this stuff that you've put in your lives are getting in the way of you walking with God. All those 600 laws, all those precepts, all those courses, all those buildings, the stuff is stifling the God stuff. And that's why you're so uptight. Have you ever met a religious guy that isn't uptight? 
That's why you're so uptight. And I love you so much that I've got to say these things to expose you so that you would do something about it. I mean, that's pretty direct stuff. Notice also that he's totally loved by the crowds. I love this. The people that should love Jesus don't love Jesus, and the people that shouldn't love Jesus think he's amazing. Isn't that true? You read the New Testament. The people who should love Jesus because they're religious people, they don't love Jesus very much at all. And the people that shouldn't love Jesus because they're doing all the stuff that, that they know they shouldn't be doing, they totally love Jesus. They're deeply attracted. Verse 7 and 8. So many people came to see him that he had to get out in a boat because people were clamoring around him and wanted to touch him and wanted to be healed by him because he was doing incredible things. Jesus is deeply attractive. That's why the turning thing works. Not because the app's good. Because it probably isn't. But because Jesus is deeply attractive. And the reason that Jesus is deeply attractive is because inside each one of us, there is a God-responder mechanism. In other words, you were, when you were made, you were hardwired to know God. You were created by him and for him. And when you see him, when you truly see him, when you touch him, when you see his creative beauty, when you see his grace and when you encounter his mercy, your heart is going to be drawn to him because he is deeply attractive. Do you still find him attractive? After all these years? I mean, it's easy for Jesus to be useful, but is he still beautiful? Does that offend our Britishness? He's hated by religion, he's loved by the crowds, and he's followed by the strangest, weirdest bunch of guys. I mean, this is, I'm just teaching the Bible here. It's so encouraging, isn't it? I find this so encouraging because what I've begun to realize, as I get to know myself more, I am weirder by the year. Thanks. I am, I am like more dysfunctional by the year. I begin to realize how strange I, I am and I can very easily count myself out of the possibility of, of serving Jesus and walking with Jesus and knowing Jesus. But, but Jesus' guys are weird. I mean, Peter... Frequently wrong, never in doubt. You all know people like that, don't you? James and John, sons of thunder, because they had anger issues. Not because they were good at weather forecasting. I say that all the time. It's not funny, never was funny, but it's Simon the Terrorist. Seriously, this, that, Simon the Zealot, that's what we're supposed to read. Simon the Terrorist and, and Thaddeus. I mean, who even is he? We don't even know who Thaddeus is. He's one of Jesus' 12. No one knows what he did, who he is. He's the ruination of many pub quiz nights. <laughs> Name the 12 disciples and the other one. You know, the one no one didn't do. I mean, and, and, and Judas. I love the fact that they were weird. So Jesus walks into the synagogue on the Sabbath, which sounds like the start of a joke. <laughs> And he spies a sick guy. Check this out. Just the first few verses. He spies a sick guy. And it's a setup. 
This, if you've ever seen a setup, this is like a movie set. This is like a movie scene when he, Jesus walks in and everyone knows you know, everyone else knows, all the characters know this is a setup. Something is going to happen. It, it, it's dramatic. This is, a, this is a setup. He is looking for it. They are waiting for it. And it's a setup by God for us. That's why it's written here. It's written here because something is going to happen that's going to teach you something that's going to help you walk with Jesus, to help you be disrupted. He wants every generation to understand this. What is Jesus doing? Let me tell you. Jesus is doing involvement over indifference. He's doing involvement over indifference. And it's a total, total, if you want to take a note, you can take notes on this and make me feel good. It's Involvement over it's a totally new thing because people were not used to this way of being. They were used to religious leaders that were either totally and totally uninvolved or, 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 or totally blended into culture. They were the separators or the blenders. The Pharisees and the Essenes were separators. The Pharisees separated themselves by 600 laws and they had to keep themselves pure and they had to wash themselves and they couldn't eat with certain people at certain times. They were just different from everybody else and they looked down on everybody. And the Essenes kept themselves separate by actually physically removing themselves to the desert so they would never meet anybody, so they were separate for God. They were the separated ones and they were used to leaders like that. And then there were the blenders, the people who, you kind of knew they were religious but you didn't know they were different and they didn't make a difference because they looked like everybody else. They were the Herodians and the Sadducees. They just compromised and they did everything that everyone else did. And Jesus comes along saying, I'm not going to be a separator. I'm not going to be a blender. I'm going to be a restorer. I'm going to get involved in every situation because I'm God. And that's what God does. He is restoring all things. The way of Jesus is the way of involvement. Sorry about that. It means that we who are trying to follow Jesus can't just live quiet lives minding our own business and not getting involved with anyone else's business. We have to care because he cares. He cares about justice, so we have to care about justice because he is just. He cares about the environment because he's green. In fact, he's the original green. And so we can't get away with going, oh, well, you know, the earth will soon dissolve like snow. The sun forbear to shine. I know my theology. I sung it. No. God loves this earth. He loves this planet. Like we, we can't get away with that kind of stuff. We have to be involved. God, so many of us as followers of Jesus are reactive. Uh, we just sit and we respond to the world as it is and we hold it at arm's length and we, we consume or we, or, or we critique what's going on. But, but, but the call of Jesus is for us to be causal. He is, he is placing his children at the epicenter of his repair job for a world that he is involved in to repair all things, to restore all things, disturb yourself. What do we learn about Jesus? Well, we, we learn that Jesus is doing people over programs. Always. Always people over programs. He, he loves values over vehicles. This is, this is really huge. So Jesus walks into the temple, into the synagogue on the Sabbath. And what, what we learn is this. The principles of the Sabbath are central. But the practices of the Sabbath are flexible. 
principles are, are, are central. That there is a reason to rest. There is a reason to stop. There is a reason to worship. There is a reason to recalibrate your life around the person of God. But the practices of the Sabbath are totally flexible because God prefers people over programs. We are called to honor the past. Listen carefully. We're called to honor our forefathers. But we don't honor our forefathers by embracing their practices. We honor them by embracing their principles. And in every generation, we're called called to put new practices on old principles that we might take the vehicle of the gospel into new places because that's what Jesus does. Jesus here is willing to break with tradition and upset feelings and mess with reason because there is a different authority in town. It's called the way of Jesus, the way of love. And it always trumps every other authority. The laws were, you know, I sometimes think that we think the Pharisees were evil, evil people. No, 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 no. These were good people trying to do good things. They set these laws up because they wanted somehow to follow God and do the God things, but they got it so wrong, they ended up worshipping the laws rather than the God. They messed it all up. But God loves people. All people. Broken people. Lost people. Smart people. Sick people. Intellectual people, politically correct people, racist people. He does. Black people, white people, straight people, gay people. God loves people. In fact, you never meet anybody that Father God doesn't love, that Jesus didn't die for, and the Holy Spirit isn't actively trying, trying to win. And God loves people so much that his, his ultimate plan is to set out on, a, on an all-out search, rescue, restore mission to save people. That's what he does. That's who God is. And I think we have this story in Mark chapter 3, because Jesus just wants you to know that. And be disturbed by that. He sent, God sent his son to break some vehicles, to get back to some values, to break some programs, to get to some people. That's what he did. And we need to do the same. So what is Jesus doing? Well, let's try this. Jesus is doing life over death. Now, that doesn't sound that profound, but stay with me. It's going to be really profound. Look at verse 4. When Jesus is describing uh, what the Son of Man... He has this conversation with the Pharisees, and he's describing what the Son of Man does, what what God does. And he says, look, um, uh, what is lawful on the Sabbath? I love this question because it's so passive-aggressive. Isn't it? I mean, what is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? It's a, great, it's a great question, isn't it? So what he's basically saying is, I came to do good and to save life. Implicitly, what you're doing is doing evil and killing people. I mean, he doesn't say it quite as directly as, as I am, but basically, that's, that, isn't that what he's saying? I'm, I'm doing good and, and I'm saving life, but 
But I think what you're suggesting is doing exactly the opposite. Now, when Jesus says save, stay with me here. He's employing one of the most beautiful and rich words in the New Testament. He's using the word sozo, which, by the way, is way more than a healing course coming out of Northern California. It means this. This is worth noting. It means this. Emotional, spiritual healing. It means that he binds people up, he puts people together, he changes situations, he makes a way where there isn't a way, he puts us right with God, he forgives us of everything, he restores all things, he's transforming everything, and he's doing it now and forever. And that, that, that is basically the, the whole meaning of the word sozo. And, and here's the thing, he says it, and he carries it, and it's a badge of honor, not because just what he does, but because of who he is. It's in his name. He will be called Jesus because he will save his people, sozo his people from their sins. And it's so important because, because this is what happened to you. And this is what happened on the streets of Edinburgh this week. And this is what happens when people give their lives to God. God saves them. But, but, and, 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 and it's so important because so often... Religion gets in the way of this. And when Jesus sees religion doing the opposite, he gets mad. Don't you love this? This is Jesus just, this is very honest, isn't it? Jesus gets mad. And when he sees religion getting in the way of doing good and saving life, he gets, he gets mad. And he gets mad Jesus style, not religion style. See, notice this, the, the, the word anger here is the word orgy. And, and there, are, there are at least two words that could have been used for the word anger. And Jesus chooses one very particularly. And it means this, listen. Calculated, intentional, rational anger. That's what it means. There is another word that could be used for anger. And that's the emotional, hot-headed, explosive anger. Some of you know what that's all about. Uh, but, but here, intentionally, what we're reading is God has decided to be angry and sad. Mostly when we get religious. Why? Because it kills life. Why? Because it, it does evil. It kills life. And, and what's so sad is the religious people, and there are plenty of those around, are so obsessed with their rituals and their rules and their courses and their programs and their buildings and their stuff. And they never intended to, but it began to kill life. It killed the life of God. And Jesus, look at this, is deeply distressed. He's angry, sad. And it's not the rituals that upset him. It's what the rituals have become. It's not the buildings that upset him. It's what the buildings and the programs and the places and the moments and the events have become. It's the restrictions and the judgments that make him mad. I, I think Jesus is totally up for the concept that everyone gets to play in the kingdom of God. Do you believe that? Four of you to my left. I think Jesus is totally up for the concept that everyone gets to play in the kingdom of God. But I think he is radically opposed to everyone has to play in the same way in the kingdom of God. I think he's totally up for it. You get to play, you get to do your thing. I think he is radically opposed that everyone has to do the same thing. You see, one is freeing and brings life. The other is imprisoning and brings death. I don't think God is at all opposed to structure, not at all. 
But when structures disable us in fully knowing God or fully becoming alive, they quickly make him mad sad. And if we're not careful, we all end up pharisaical. I'm, I'm shocked at the amount of times I think I, I, I look and sound more like a Pharisee than Jesus. The, every, every time I rush to judgment, they should do this. Why are you not doing this? Why is everyone not doing this? Why doesn't everyone think the way I think? Why does everyone want to do the things that, 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 that I do? And, and we end up, if we're not careful, forcing a line dance when it's time to freestyle. Does that make sense? We're forcing everyone to behave in a certain mm, 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 way. And you have to serve in this way, and we all have to do this, and everyone has to believe this, and everyone should think the way I think about something. Mm, 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 mm. And we're called to freestyle. <laughs> do our thing. And be who God created you to be. And love the way God created you to love. And use the gifts God created you to use to serve his purposes, to free people to do good and to save lives. It became religion and it killed life and God is mad. Listen, when we do church, when the way we do church stops being good and saving people, it's become evil and we need to break it up, change it up, free it up. I think that's why we got Mark 3. Listen very carefully. I, I, I think God is totally up for church. After all, it's his idea, it's his bride, and he's coming back for it. I think God is totally up for your gift. After all, he gave it to you. He equipped you with it. He's called you to use it. He thinks it's fantastic. I, I think the Alpha course is, is absolutely superb. I think the turning is wonderful. He inspired it. I think your community is, 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 is amazing. I think God gave it to you in your heart. I think the mission you have in your heart is, is, is totally what God called you to do. He wants people freed, sozo. But if any of those vehicles get in the way of people experiencing life and you having full life in God. And if they ever become judgment upon anybody else because they're not doing the thing that you think you've decided that they want to do, they don't want to dance the way you want to dance. <laughs> they're called to the same DNA stuff, but the way in which they express it is, is different. And if you can begin to feel judgment welling up, watch out. Be very careful that you've not become religious. Jesus says, I'm not doing it your way. I'm just not doing it your way. And I love this. In God's vehicle, the synagogue. On God's day, the Sabbath. He says, stretch out your hand. And the man is healed. And it defies religion. And most people are offended. That's going to be the case. It defies religion and most people are offended. So here, here's two questions for you. What makes you mad? What makes, what makes you mad? What makes you sad? See, and that's, that's such an important question because I, I don't think you will ever walk in your dream until you get mad about something. I don't think your dream will ever get realized in your destiny until you, you get moved by something, until something irritates you, until you get a complaint in your heart, until God moves your heart. What makes you mad? What makes you sad? Or are you flatlining through your life? Oh, it's all okay. Because God gets mad about things. 
What, what, what moves you? S- second question, how expectant are you? I love the fact that Jesus has absolutely no doubt that when he asks the guy to stand up in the synagogue, that when he c- commands healing, that healing is going to happen. I love that. How expectant are you? Do, you? do you expect Jesus to actually answer your prayers? Do you, do you, some of the three of you. Do you, do, do you, do you expect Jesus to, to answer when you pray for healing? I'll tell you why this is important. It's really important because expectation is the breeding ground of miracles. I'll show you how this works. I, I have a number of people in my life who see people healed all the time and see people saved all the time. There's a very, very, very common thread to what goes on. It's not rocket science. They pray for people to be healed all the time and expect God to answer. And it's just a strike rate thing. You know, if I pray for a thousand people, it's more likely that more people are going to be healed if you pray for two. (laughs) Because I believe God's going to do it, and I'm going to just speculate on the fact that I'm not always correct about who I'm supposed to pray for. I'm just going to pray for them. If I believe that God loves all people and he's always trying to reach all people and I'm going to try and cooperate with what he's doing and and I start sharing my faith and I I, I share my faith with a thousand people, it's way more likely that I'm going to have two or three or four or five hundred people coming to know Jesus, isn't it? Than just I thought about it, talked about it, heard a sermon about it and thought it might be a good idea one day when it felt easy for me to do it. How expectant are you? Gosh, this is high challenge, isn't it, this evening? What is Jesus doing? Let's take it down and land the plane. What if he's doing be with me more than do for me? Be with me more than do for me. What I mean by that is, look at verse 13 to 19. The way of Jesus is totally infectious. It's, it's caught as much as it's taught. He calls his disciples to be with him, and he sends them out to represent him. And when, when he sends them out to represent him, look at verse 14. He sends them out to preach. In other words, he sends them out to tell of the kingdom of God. This is what the kingdom of God is like. This is who God is. This is what it looks like and feels like to be under the reign of God. And then he sends them also out to free people, to, to deliver them from the bondage of the enemy. Uh, but, but don't miss this. Don't miss this. Verse 14. He appointed 12 that they might be with him. You need to understand what's going on here real quick. Background history. Chapter 2, Jesus is saying, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And, and when he's saying, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, he's referencing a, a story back in the Old Testament of King David and his mighty men eating consecrated bread on, on the Sabbath. And, and we don't really understand it right now, but, the, but Jesus' disciples are listening to this and they're thinking, oh my word. Because they're thinking, goodness me, Jesus is saying that he's like King David. <gasps> Jesus is saying, I'm like the anointed, he's like the anointed king. He's the king who's, who's coming. And, and, and what if we are like the mighty men of David? And you can see them listening to this and suddenly they're going, we're like Sandy. We say Stop. They stop. Because there's something about being the mighty man. And we get to be with him. And we get to do the things that he does. And we get to be with him. And we get to do the things he does. Listen, it's the being with him that makes us act like him. 
It's the being with him that makes us act like him. Pause for a moment. Here's the thing. I get to be with Jesus. That's the God. I get to be with Jesus. I get to hang out with Jesus. I get to experience the full life of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus, the love of Jesus. Listen, I get to hang out with Jesus. It's not the thing that helps me do the thing. It's the thing. You know, in other words, I don't just get to hang out with Jesus so I can do the Jesus stuff so other people can be blessed. I get to hang out with Jesus. Wow. I just get to be with Jesus. That's the thing. But, 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 but here's, here's the thing. The byproduct of my being with Jesus is that I look like Jesus. The byproduct of me being with Jesus is that the life of Jesus in me flows through me. And that's so important because here's the thing. People do not need my love. Because my love is not patient enough. It's, it's inconsistent. It's sometimes agendered. My love is not pure love. People don't need my love. They need Jesus' love. People don't need my compassion because it's not really very compassionate. They need Jesus' compassion. People don't need my truth because sometimes my truth is harsh. But Jesus' truth is never harsh. It's always gracious truth. People don't need my patience because I'm definitely not patient. They need Jesus' patience who is incredibly patient with us and cares for us and, and loves us. And the only way they get to experience Jesus' compassion, care, mercy, grace, love, peace and truth is if I hang out with Jesus so that Jesus in me, through me, flows to people around me. That's what's supposed to happen. The secret to the fruitfulness of your life is not about what you do. It's about who you behold. The, the Apostle Paul writes about this and it's it's complicated sentence he talks about unveiled faces and, and all that kind of stuff but he says it in in a book in a letter he writes to the church in Corinth he says this as you look to Jesus you begin to look like Jesus smell like Jesus act like Jesus the secret is Jesus not you so here's the deal what does Jesus want you to understand stop living for Jesus It'll ultimately kill you. You can't do it. And, and actually, stop trying to get other people to live for Jesus as well. Because you'll just end up being judgy. No one will like you and God is not honored. Stop living for Jesus. People will get hurt by your busted driving and striving life. And start living with Jesus. And you'll live like Jesus. That's the deal. Stop living for Jesus, start living with Jesus, and you'll live like Jesus. And Jesus says, come be with me. Come be with me. Just, just be with me, and you'll speak for me, and you'll live like me. Let's hang out more. Miss you. Let's, let's hang out some more. So what is Jesus doing? You know, the cool thing is, I, I don't know with you, because this is not a spiritual line dance. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to demonstrate, but it's freestyle. It's freestyle. God is always doing something different with you than he's doing with me, because he loves you, he knows you, you're different to me, and you're in a different part of the journey. But I suspect he's disrupting some of you. You can't stay the same. 
and he's involving some of you. You've got to get in the middle. And he's loving some people through you because he's already pointed out to you, even as I was speaking, the people that he's calling you to. And he's breaking up vehicles that will disable. He's doing that all over this nation. And there is incumbent upon us as a generation, I count myself as your generation, for some of us to be iconoclasts, to break vehicles, to break structures in order to get back to people and values. That's what he's doing. And he's deeply attractive. And he's totally offensive. And he's deeply attractive. (laughs) And he's totally offensive. And his invite is, come be with me. Disrupt yourself, big man. Let's pray. So Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come. And once again, um, a wheat and chaff prayer. That which was fleshy of the preacher, not what you were saying. Would you blow it away on the wind so that it wouldn't affect us? But that which was of you for our lives. Would you sink it deep and disrupt us? Disrupt us. Disturb us and disrupt us. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. Let's just wait in this space for a minute or two. I think God's got some stuff to say very directly to people this evening. Hmm. There's um, a couple that came here this evening. Um, I don't think I know you. Um, um, but when you walked in, uh, you didn't know what to expect. And um, But you've been having conversations about what the next season holds for you um, because there's almost like a blank page in front of you. And the temptation for you is, um, in fact, you even talked about this, I think, the temptation is just to coast, just to say, well, we've done our hard yards. We've, we've I think maybe you've even had the kids and the kids have left or leaving and... Um, and your temptation is to go, well, we just keep on doing same old, same old. And even as the word of the Lord came to you tonight, um, something in your heart said, no, we can't do that. We've got to go again. And it's disruption. And there is something deeply offensive about that for you. But the Lord says not only it, 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 is, def- it is offensive, but it's also beautiful. And if I call you to it, I will always underwrite it. I think that's a very particular word for a couple um, here. And I think there are one or two others who came in deeply frustrated about their walk with Jesus, but you, you probably never had that conversation with anybody. 
And the Lord would say to you, I'm frustrated as well. Would you just come be with me? Would you come be with me? That's the fix. It's not do more things or get more active. Would you come be with me? I've missed you. In fact, when I said I've missed you in the middle of preaching, that, that hit you like a ton of bricks. I've missed you. Because it wasn't, it's never condemnation when it comes from the mouth of Jesus. It's often conviction, but it's not condemnation. And you know that's a word for you as well. And Hannah and I were talking at the beginning of, of the gathering and felt that um, there were some of you that the disruption is that you know you're called to teach the Bible. And you just don't know it. <laughs> you don't know it and you know you're called to do what I just did um, and God's got you for that but, um, but it's going to take some disruption because the path you're on right now doesn't look like that and you know God's calling you to do that and even as I was speaking you're thinking I want to do that in fact you're probably thinking I could do that better why doesn't he get to the point point? and that was the voice of God internal voice of God and you God's been speaking to you about that and fin finally there was uh, one or two of you who, who are sick and tired of not being bold and courageous and you would desperately love to be one of those people who tell stories about how you took a risk and you went for it and you said this and did this and God showed up and there's something inside of you, and, and, and it's, in fact, it's, it's so nagging for you that when people do give testimony, you become cynical. Because it's not you, and it doesn't feel right, and it feels like lying dance. But the way in which God is speaking to you is about, yeah, come on, take a step with me.